0: All right, hey, Steve, it's so good to have you back again, and it's good to see you. I hear you're uh, down at the beach for a, a few days? That's correct, yeah. All right, uh, good. We're um, in Auckland here, we're still in lockdown, so we're we're lucky if we can get to the letterbox uh, these days. <laughs> um, but uh, and but we're looking forward to uh, better weather coming. We've just kicked into spring, so um, looking forward to that. But thanks so much for being available again. We've just got some questions that different people have fired into us uh, over the last few days on the back of uh, enjoying what you had to say uh, on Sunday. And so we thought we'd fire them out and uh, and see where we uh, where we get to. How's that sound? Yeah, it sounds great. Excellent.
1: Awesome. I love questions. I think I think uh, questions are. We must encourage questions. You know that the church we built by people asking questions, not harmed by people asking questions. Good people asking good questions with good motives, fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's a good point because a lot of people, for <laughs> different reasons, feel like they can't ask questions, and yet uh, I think that people that ask questions have good conversations. Uh, uh, that's that's that what leads to maturity. So mm. uh, I love it. So. Glad you Definitely, that. definitely. Um, all right, so here's, here's one to kick off. Who decided which books are in the Bible?
1: <laughs> Good question. So I guess if we look at it in, in two sections, firstly, the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament canon, or the Hebrew scriptures, as they're sometimes called, were essentially set by the time of Jesus. There was no real debate about that. So the, the, the early Christians simply adopted those as their scriptures. it comes to the new testament um again fairly early on in the sort of second century period there was pretty much a consensus about which of the texts that were in circulation should be considered to be inspired and when it came to formalizing that uh, a little bit later there was very little debate about it sometimes people think that it was um know there were were, maybe dozens or hundreds of of potential texts that could have been included and maybe they voted or something like that and how do we know the right ones got in and all that sort of thing but actually there was very little that was debated very very little um a couple of books maybe were were questioned but in terms of the the approach they took in relation to the new testament it was essentially um whether a writing was was or was believed to be by one of the people who knew Jesus, one of the apostles or people who knew Jesus, or was based upon the recollections and the testimonies of people who knew Jesus. So closeness to Jesus was the main criteria.
0: Right. Another good question here is in, uh, in Second Timothy, Uh, Paul writes that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for for teaching and rebuking and admonishing and uh, and the question is is like what scripture is he referring to because he's writing that in the the letter to Timothy uh, as a as a letter um, and then that became our New Testament scriptures but what scriptures um, Mm. could he have been referring to in that uh, letter
1: yeah, good question. Um, and this is actually relevant uh, in terms of their experience of their faith at, at that same time, of course. Um, basically, uh, he would have been talking about the Old Testament as we know it. Um, and uh, I think, therefore, when we apply that verse to our scripture today, we're doing so by extension. Certainly, in terms of its original meaning, it would have been speaking about the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. But we can, I think, perfectly reasonably extend the principle to embrace the whole of our
0: scripture. Mm -hmm. All right, another question. We'll keep going. How should we read the Genesis accounts? In the beginning, God created Uh, stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the first thing that we have to do is to ask ourselves the perennial question, which is, what did it mean to them then and why? What we mustn't do is expect the text to be answering the questions that we would ask of it today if those weren't the questions that they were asking of it. So for example, um, they were not interested in how the world was made in a manufacturing sense. The questions that mattered to them were, why was it made who made it how do we fit into that and what does that tell us about who we are and who we should be so it was more to do with identity and purpose and meaning than it was uh, the technicalities of manufacturing processes so if we fast forward to today in modernity onwards the the age post enlightenment age that we're kind of in now we uh, because it's an age of science, we think very mechanistically, we want to know how that was made, we, uh, we, we're taught to think about that, we're taught to dissect the rat on the laboratory bench at school to find out how it works, and you know, all the rest of it. Uh, we, we, we take something apart to, to fix it, to, to the mechanics of it. So we're very focused on, on questions of, of how. And yet, as I say, the, the ancients weren't interested in that. Their questions were different. Uh, that doesn't mean they're better or ours are better. They're just different questions. So what we mustn't do is read Genesis as if it's answering our questions. Equally, we mustn't judge Genesis against the, uh, to the extent that it fails to answer the questions we would like it to be telling us about. Mm. So um, let me give you a little example of that. Um, The word that's translated made or created, God made the heavens and the earth, um, that word in Hebrew is never used in scripture in a manufacturing sense. It's always used in a bringing it about sense, bringing something into being sense. So, for example, in the Psalms, when um, the psalmist uh, says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The create a mere clean heart, O oh God, is the same word, create. Mm-hmm. And it clearly does not mean, in that context, perform a heart transplant operation on me in, in a literal sense. Mm-hmm. It's bring about, you know, make it happen. Mm-hmm. And that uh, is how we should really read the creation account. And within the book, I, talk a, I go through some examples of, things in that creation account that are explanatory in terms of uh, the questions that the ancients would, would ask of it. And um, it really uh, the, the, the biggest single question that, that it's answering for us is who created the heavens and the earth. And um, I'll give you another quick example. Um, it doesn't name the sun and the moon talks about the greater light and the lesser light and that's because to name something was to give it significance and uh, the, the, the writer of Genesis was keen to uh, play down the significance of the sun and the moon and the stars because most of the other nations believed that they were gods Right, and Genesis is saying no, 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 they're just lights you know, um, they're just, just up there in the firmament, they are not gods, God, one God our God made everything there is.
0: Hmm. Oh yeah, that's really, uh, really helpful. So we shouldn't be looking for uh, clues as to how it was all put together. No, and we shouldn't
1: be looking to validate scripture by finding some spurious connection with something we understand today. Right. Because bear in mind what what we understand today is different to what they understood in the 16th century or or the 11th century. And it's probably different than what they're gonna understand in the 23rd century. So um, God is, did not embed little clues in a text from thousands of years ago in order to match up with modern thinking on the um, uh, how the cosmos came into being in a scientific sense.
0: Good. All right. Another question. We've done Genesis. We'll jump right to the other end. Book of Revelation. <laughs> all right. There's, uh, there's uh, been all sorts of... Uh, probably unhelpful ways that people have engaged with the book of Revelation, but, uh, and I know that you do talk a little bit about this in your book, uh, and again, if people are listening for the first time, um, Steve uh, has written a book called How to Read the Bible Well. Have I got the title right? I better get that right. Yeah, um, you have, yeah. yeah. Have to read the Bible Well, uh, and uh, but uh, the book of Revelation, it may be Uh, Well, it probably is a conversation that is uh, this this major start a conversation rather than complete a conversation. It's a very uh, interesting book that uh, you can come at from all sorts of different uh, angles and talk about all sorts of different parts of it. But uh, what is the question was, what is this book trying to say? I think that's a good question.
1: (laughs) Okay, so um, Revelation is probably the most difficult book to read. Um, of of anything I mean it probably even makes Leviticus look quite fun you know (laughs) um, really difficult Um, so very quickly uh, firstly in terms of the genre or the type of literature that it is Revelation is almost unique in the scripture there's a bit of Daniel as well which fits into this category but it's basically unique Um, and that is the genre of apocalyptic which is almost impossible to to pronounce let alone to, to interpret and it's a kind of an end times focused kind of prophetic literature but we don't really have it today we don't have any equivalent of it today so we've got time and distance between us and the text and we've got this massive issue of the type of literature that it is and one of the principles of biblical interpretation is and this is just standard stuff nothing very complicated about it that we must relate to each type of literature each genre in accordance with its own rules so you think about the number of sports for example team sports in the olympics you can't swap the rules for basketball with the rules for cricket with the rules for football with the rules for rugby or whatever Mm. Um, the the, the rules have to go with that particular sport and so in terms of uh, genres of literature again certain rules have to go have to go with that um and apocalyptic is the most difficult so the the one thing that we cannot do is to just read it and and guess you know just read it and say well this must be this this must be the other which is basically what people people do um and they will one of the tricky things about apocalyptic is because it's kind of uh, it's prophetic as well it, but it's also it was also relevant at, at the time period when it was written so if it uh, you know business about ten-headed beasts and um, you know this this um, antichrist figure and all the rest of it um, if if that had not meant something to the people to whom it was written it would never have been preserved for us as scripture it wasn't just preserved for 21st-century Christians to, you know, find uh, to see some relevance for the United States or for you know the the EU or uh, whatever whatever it may be, um, so uh, it, it's extremely difficult. I would say that if you if people have read popular interpretations, and by popular I mean non-scholarly, um, then uh, ignore them all. They're probably all rubbish, right? So. Okay. whatever you heard this that and the other in terms of contemporary application and interpretation they're almost certainly all rubbish if you want to get into revelation you need to read a, a biblical scholars commentary on it um a, a good one um and stay away from the sort of uh, rather fanciful um, sensationalist popular stuff
0: mm. Mm. okay so um so <laughs> What you're saying, the the key is to uh, perhaps get some guidance from uh, scholars that you you know and trust as to the way to engage with it. I know there's so much to it. There's and and most of it is is a vision too. So it's uh, it's been uh, you know John he sees this vision and he's told to write it write down what he sees as he goes. And so it's not he's not telling us and teaching us. He's just writing down what he's seeing in this, in this vision. Um, So uh, yeah, there, and then, but then there's some wonderful parts at the end that uh, of revelation that feel like um, it's, it's encouraging Christians that are in uh, challenging circumstances. And there were so many situations across the, uh the known world at that time where christians were um facing all sorts of difficulties you know famines wars uh persecution for being christians uh, and uh the the big encouragement at the end is that um you know god's god's got everything in in his hands you know the, the it's it's going to be okay
1: yeah absolutely uh by s- suggesting to people that they ignore most of what they've heard about Revelation, I don't mean that we should ignore everything in it or just never read it. It's about the, the, the uh, poor exegesis. You know, it, it's about poor interpretation. Um, and so for example, Revelation 21, you know, the new heavens and the new earth, that is actually quite easy to understand if you think of it in big picture terms. You know, if you, if you, the more you go into the detail, the more danger there is you get some of it wrong. But if you think of it in big picture terms. When I talk about heaven and hell, but in this case, heaven in in the book, um, I refer to Revelation 21, new heavens and new earth. I refer to the fact that some of the features we see in that new or recreated creation, that renewed creation, includes uh, the presence of God, well, in with his people. You know, you've got, there's a, there's a harking back to, uh, the early part of Genesis, uh, and where the presence of God was permanently there, and and so on. There's some stuff that can easily be relatively easily be understood, but it's when people get into prophetic time charts and saying that this 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 character is must be this person, and, and this must be Donald Trump, and this must be someone else, and you know all that stuff. Um, you know, throughout history, people have identified the Antichrist with Hitler or Stalin or whomever and in retrospect always been wrong in, the, in their approach to that so we there are some big themes yes let's go with some of those big themes and let's be encouraged by by them as you say you know um, God wins at the end as it were um, and um, you know but not 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 to be overly detailed and not to over, interpret in ways that are, aren't actually valid mm. and you're quite right about the circumstances within which John was was writing and if we think of text in context which is a, an important principle for, for understanding scripture in terms of its original meaning then yes part of the, his reason for writing it and, and passing on that vision was to encourage the Christians that um uh, you know, we're, we're struggling
0: at the time. Mm. 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 Have you got time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, we just had someone uh, fire in a question just on the back of our conversation that we looked at the the scriptures that you know we that you refer to them and as the genocidal scriptures, the the uh, the narratives in the Old Testament where uh, it says that God. Instructed his people to go and, you know, wipe out whole villages, whole people groups and uh, always um, challenging uh, when we, we read those and different people have explained them in different ways, some of them very, uh, in a very superficial way, some in a very dismissive way. Uh, someone almost like a um like a, a hear no evil see no evil this <laughs> sort of way is like oh, I don't want to even even think about that uh, let's move on to something a bit a bit easier but uh but these are good questions because if this is these are our scriptures that we want to have confidence in being uh, uh, inspired divinely inspired um, we need to have way good ways of engaging with these these difficult ones so would um, be good to, again, add some, add some thinking around that, uh, Steve.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a really long one, Matt, a really long answer to a fairly short question. Um, the difficulty with trying to give a quick answer to it um, is that whatever I say, some of your audience will say, well, I don't get that. I don't understand that. How can that be? And I would say I, I can fully understand why someone would say that, because you haven't got enough information to be able to, 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 to grasp whatever it is that I, I say in response. Um, I think a few pointers. Number one is that something is going on there, there beyond what the text appears to say on its face. Now, that doesn't mean that we dismiss it because we don't like it, or we pick and choose the scriptures we believe, or any of that nonsense. Um, but it does mean that we have to think about what is that text there for, what is it saying, um, and what are we? How are we supposed to engage with it? If we understand that Jesus is the express or exact image of what God is like, Jesus revealed to us what God is like then we know that god does not change in terms of his nature and character and therefore what jesus showed us that god is like is what god was always like so the question is when we come up against texts and stories that appear to suggest that god is not like jesus i can simplify it to that extent um we have to to say to ourselves there's something more going on here now, the, the, the there are various options in, in terms of how Christians have historically dealt with those difficult texts. And by the way, it's not just the genocidal ones, there's others as well. Um, uh, and, and they're sort of collectively called the texts of terror. Phyllis Tribble. <laughs> Sothilo, yeah, I, can
0: terror. I can understand why. <laughs> yeah,
1: and because they are very traumatic and troublesome. And mm-hmm. we need to be able to read all of those consistently. Uh, so for example, in relation to the genocidal texts, some people will say, ah, well, actually, it, it was just rhetoric, it never really happened.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, that's okay, that, that, that works for that one, maybe, but it doesn't work for a story of, of gang rape, for example. That, that doesn't help us unless you say, well, that didn't happen either. But after a while, we begin to run up with you know, run up quite a list of things that we believe never really happened. Mm. which is not actually a particularly um, evangelical way of looking at scripture to to, to (laughs) to say, well, that never happened, that never happened. Um, So there are various ways that one can look at all of these texts, but um, I suggest in the book that we need to to understand what the text is there to tell us, and in particular, how we are supposed to engage with with that text, because we should be looking to see the humanity in the text as well as the divinity in the text just as we look at the gospels to see jesus humanity and jesus divinity mm-hmm. we can't only focus on jesus divinity because we miss out then on understanding uh who he was in terms of his humanity and uh the, the, quite a lot of the book is devoted not just to how to read those texts of terror those genocidal texts but also um, to think through some of the framework or, or foundations for how one might best
0: read them. Yeah, that's good. And I know that we, just as we were getting uh, ready to record, you you talked about how um, those kind of questions really do uh, need uh, some some background. Uh, input in, uh, into how you engage with them that we obviously can't cover in just the brief time that we have. And so, you know, again, if you're watching uh, when Steve's referring to the book, it's it's the book that he wrote and he really does a great uh, job of uh, of leading into that year. There it is right there. Uh, and um, it was great. I've already it's said actually in English.
1: Right? It doesn't look like it's in English because Mirror image, but the.
0: Oh, idea right. yes, yes, yes. Uh, how to read the Bible well? I know that some of our people have already um downloaded it on Kindle or have, have ordered it, so um, which is uh, very cool. But but if you're watching, uh, when Steve's talking about you know the, the book that he does, uh, give us a great foundation of a building towards how we can engage and get to a point where we can engage with those uh scriptures in a way that really uh does uh, help. Uh, and uh, so I you know, encourage you, if you are a reader, if you'd like to know more, to, to grab a hold of the book. So, um, but the, the keys are that we are looking at uh, words that have been, uh, have those two things uh, together where there is, you know, there's humanity and there's d- divinity. Uh, and, and, um, and the book does help us to engage with h- how we read those uh, in a ways that are helpful